Hello, and welcome to Out in the Woods. I'm your host, JD. This is episode 9, if you can believe it, which is actually technically the 10th episode, which means that this is the 10th week that I have sat in front of this microphone and rambled to you, the listener. Now, granted, we did have one week of reprieve, uh, if you can call two hours and 40 minutes of drunken podcasting a reprieve with Sam. Uh, and I am, well, I was about to have a guest on this week, uh, but our timing didn't quite work out. I believe, get this, I believe that the next two weeks I will have a guest. Don't hold your breath. Don't hold your breath. I'm going to try. I'm going to try like hell for you, the listener. Either way, it's so wonderful uh, for you to be here and for you to be tuning in. I'm very excited for this episode. Uh, i believe we have some good topics some good conversation pieces that you know hopefully you and i will be able to uh, sort through as they say pick things apart um if you are just tuning in and this is your first episode well uh my name is jd as i said earlier and this is out in the woods also as i said earlier uh thanks for tuning in uh really this podcast is an experiment And this is, again, just to kind of reiterate to those of you that already know this. This podcast is an experiment. We're seeing what comes from it. I almost wasn't going to record an episode today. And I'm very happy that I sat down and started looking over some material to cover. Um, And now that I'm here in front of this microphone on this beautiful, beautiful spring morning in Midland, Texas, um, it it is beautiful. It is such a nice feeling to be here with you, and, well, don't worry, there are birds, and we will talk about them, I promise. Um, well, ah, no, we'll, we'll, we'll save that for later on. So, this episode, as, as with all of my episodes, uh, it's going to be, well, we're going to just kind of take a little walk in the woods, as they say, metaphorical, since I will not be walking around. Uh, maybe some of you are walking around. For example, uh, one of our listeners, uh, B- Elizabeth Bick, has sent in an audio message. And if you give me two seconds here, well, you know what? I'll pause the recording so it'll seem like it'll seem like nothing at all. Okay, this is hopefully going to be fantastic. I just tested the audio. Believe it or not, I can pause when I record and and test the audio. Um, this is an audio message, uh, from a dear friend of mine. She is currently out hiking the Appalachian Trail, I believe. Um, nonetheless, uh, she sent me a long audio message, and there's one little bit that I'm going to play for you. Uh, it's this ending bit, and hopefully this will sound okay. I, I think it's going to come across pretty well. But... Another thought that you would like that I heard while out here, um, I do agree with you that like being in the city is almost kind of destructive to being outside or being somewhere like Coleman or like outskirts of Midland. Um, or I guess they kind of counteract each other so you charge one battery up while depleting the other and then flip flop your charging station whenever you go to the next place. Um, 
uh, <laughs> I guess if you ever want to really, really escape, I know you love Coleman, but rumor has it that if you move to Vermont and you're like a youngin' like us, you get paid 10 grand by the governor to live there. I don't know how long you have to live there, but fun fact that I might look into could be a cool location for a dairy farm one day. So I'm gonna check that out. Um, had another thought. I don't know. I really enjoyed listening because it helped take myself out of my brain while hiking for the last like 40 minutes or so. So yeah, I'm gonna hop on to the next episode as I run into town and then give you a little update on that one too. Thank you, Elizabeth Bick. What a wonderful, wonderful little treat that message was. If you listen to this episode, then you should be like her and listen to the other episodes. Uh, Because as, uh, well, I don't want to say weird. I don't think they're that weird. As as non-normal podcasting as previous episodes have been, I've tried to make them decent. uh, And I do highly encourage you to listen to them. uh, If you can stand it. Let's be honest here. I know I get carried away. And in all honesty, I kind of like to hear myself talk. But, 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 that is beside the point. I do believe that there is a lot of valuable insight in those episodes. Uh, Well, valuable might be a bit (laughs) of an overstatement. Anyway, there is a lot there that I want to unpack in that one little clip. So, where do we begin? First of all, uh, if you're thinking about moving to Vermont, uh, well, maybe I'll see you there. We're going to touch back on this. So we're going to touch back on Vermont and dairy farms. We're going to touch back on birds. And, and, uh, well, she forgot her last thought. So I'm going to forget this last thought and maybe it'll come to me. Uh, But the first thing that she said, let's, let's cover that first. This idea of, of having a battery so to speak who is that at my neighbors i'm definitely going to be that karen right now and nosy for oh it's the male lady (sighs) okay i don't have to tackle anyone today thank goodness that would not make for great podcasting because i doubt you could hear it but this idea of of your your batteries uh so to speak i think a lot of people might be a little more familiar with this idea in terms of social settings so i personally am very extroverted i love being around people uh, i love meeting new people and as much as i love the country life i do like crowds you know it's not super overwhelming Uh, i can handle them pretty well i like kind of the energy that they bring um going to like bars or clubs or anything like that. I'm not much of a clubber, let's be honest here. Uh, I don't have the best dance moves. I do have some, but they are pretty bad. But being being in large social settings has never has never bothered me. In fact, in most situations I do enjoy it. I don't know about you. Um, but for me, despite the fact being like those being enjoyable, at the end of the day, I need, to, I need to be alone, you know? I need a break. I think, oh, there's a plane going overhead. Oh, I'm 
I'm sure you can still hear me. I know we had one in the last episode or something like that. We'll be good. We're going to keep on going. You might be... Sorry. Back to the batteries. What we're all probably familiar with is after, you know, large social gatherings, after being out and about and just constantly, like, with people and seeing people and all this stuff, you often feel drained, you know? You, you're you just, like, ready to be alone. Maybe, like, you just want to go and take a drive and put on some music and just, like, belt your heart out and sing horribly to Mariah Carey's All I Want for Christmas is You. I'm not saying I do that, but I definitely do. But you understand this idea of of needing to be alone after being with a ton of people. And on the flip side, say you've been alone for a long time, um, then you, you'll want to, you know, be with friends. You'll need, like, humans, humans, no matter how introverted you are, you know, again, I'm very extroverted, I'm sure... Well, I'm sure a lot of you might be extroverted, but I'm sure a lot of you also might be pretty introverted. No matter how introverted you are, you still, as a human, need that interaction. You need that connection with other people, whatever scale it may be. I'm sure those of you that are more introverted uh, might be more inclined to the mano y mano, one-on-one, or, you know, small gatherings, intimate gatherings, which... There's a lot to be said for those. I think oftentimes those are a little higher quality for the soul than large gatherings. But the point being, we have our batteries. And I have noticed for myself, um, as well as a few people that I've talked to, which, hmm, hint, hint, hopefully they will be on the podcast in the next two weeks. Um, I've noticed for myself these this, this need to be alone, but not just alone, like outdoors. So uh, this past weekend, I was in Arizona. And if you've listened to the last episode, you know that I have been traveling a lot. And I have all been to big cities, Um, been in airports, been driving around big cities, casinos, knife shows, whole nine yards, concerts, all that stuff. Um, Been around a lot of people. And I've not spent a lot of time in nature. I think that's part of the reason that, well, I guess we can call this nature sitting on the porch. It's lovely. It's absolutely lovely. I'm alone. I'm with the birds and the trees. Not the birds and the bees. Get your mind out of the gutter. But I am out in nature, and I am recharging my batteries. There is another plane. This is quality podcasting. (laughs) Oh, man. But I've noticed that when I'm in these big cities, in, in the beginning, it's, it's very easy for me to have fun and be energetic and go all in. And then as the trip goes on, I start to get a little more irritable, a little more impatient, a, less, a little less willing, so to speak, to... Hmm, to dive in? Does that make sense? To dive into the city life? Now, I know a lot of people, maybe even some of you, despite listening to a podcast called Out in the Woods, maybe some of you prefer out in the city. There's nothing wrong with that. Personally, 
I have beef with the city, and we'll get to that later on. So we're gonna cover we're gonna cover the birds, we're gonna cover dairy farms, and we're gonna cover beef in the city. Oh, that's great. That's gonna be the title, Beef in the City. Oh, this is great podcasting. Um, I I think that well, similarly to our social events, our our being an introvert or our extrovert, those batteries, um, I think we have a wide range of them. Uh, I don't know if you've ever had a very long weekend of drinking and you just think, oh, I, I feel despicable right now, and you just don't drink for a couple of days. That's, that's great, and it's probably better for you. Well, it is better for you. Let's be honest here. That's better for you. But your, your one battery is depleted. Your liver is depleted <laughs> in this sense. Uh, but this idea of, of charging and discharging, and it, it may not even be, oh, there's a beautiful hummingbird moth. Wow. Uh, it may not even be kind of a, hmm, how do I say, I don't know the right word, dyadic, Di- diametric, dio meaning two. It might not be two batteries, kind of like, like city and wilderness, or lots of people and no people. Uh, it could be, it could be a whole wide range that all kind of charge and discharge at, at different rates and that's fine I think that's that's human nature and it is definitely going to be different for everyone but back to the cities I personally well hmm, where do we want to go with this I guess this might be the best lead-in for the beef beef in the city as they say which interestingly enough we're actually going to talk about veganism because, wow, this, this, this all ties back together. Um, I do believe that veganism is really a, it's only possible because of cities. And I understand that there have been, you know, monks and religions and stuff for long periods of time, right? that they're vegan, and that's like, that's what they believe, they don't eat meat, whatever. Okay, I understand that. Cities have obviously not been around for a super long time, but to some extent, they have. Large urban centers have always been around. And what do these urban centers provide? Other than a place, holy smokes, for a third airplane. This is gonna be really bad if these are super loud, but I have a feeling I'm gonna be just kind of talking about nothing. Um, What do these cities provide? They provide a hub for airplanes, yes, but for food and culture as well, but food. Now, I don't know how many of you know farmers, uh, to some extent, whatever they may be farming, whether it be cattle or chickens or, you know, grains, produce, things of that sort. I don't know how many of you know farmers, uh, but all of the farmers that I've met have never been vegan. And you start to notice as you move into suburbs and smaller towns, the vegan population becomes significantly less. Now, why is that? It's because cities provide the hub of food needed for a healthy lifestyle, if you can call it healthy, a healthy lifestyle that is plant-based, that is non-animal, which is ridiculous. Like, I don't get the point of chickens, or like, not chickens, but eggs, and milk 
and cheese. Like, come on. What's wrong with that? All right, what's, what's wrong with that? Sorry, I'm getting wound up. But this, this hub of activity and of food is really the only way that the vegan diet can survive. Unless, unless you are capable of producing your own food. Or, or you live in an area that is capable of hosting smaller, we'll say family farms, but what I mean is like, oh, I have a backyard, I'm gonna grow, you know, a bunch of bell peppers. And someone's gonna be like, oh, I'm gonna grow a bunch of corn. And someone's gonna say, oh, I'm gonna grow a bunch of beans. And then you have that little community. But even then, even then you're still needing some form of a hub. You're needing a meeting space, unless you just go, go to their house. But anyway, that's off topic, that's off topic. Think about, well, think about Midland, okay? Nothing grows in Midland other than cotton. And, well, can't really eat cotton. I'm sure you could. I don't know. I don't think that's very nutrient-dense, though. <clears throat> but nothing grows in Midland. So the only way for really any plants is through transportation. It's for them to be grown elsewhere and then transported to the city. Now, people in recent years, I think, have made an effort to shop local, support local, things like that. Uh, if you're able to grow produce in Midland, Texas, shoot me up. Not shoot me up. Shoot me a text. Hit me up. That's what I meant to say. Because uh, I would love to. You know, I'm trying to be as self-sufficient as possible in preparation for, well, ah, we're going to, that's a, another tangent. Sorry. But what is what does all this coming into the city mean? It means that all of this food that is now necessary because you have to eat a lot more, you know, the proteins are significantly more calorie dense than vegetables, okay? I think you actually burn calories by eating celery, let's be honest. Who eats celery anyway? It is good in soup. It's good in chicken noodle soup. I'll give you that. But it's just like crunchy water, you know? And there, there's just nothing to it. Like, there's just nothing to it. But to, to sustain yourself, you obviously need all of this food, you know, quinoa, rice, beans, all this, everything. It's coming from all over the place. So now you have this incredible shipping cost, which I don't necessarily mean monetarily, but think about the effort that goes into getting that food from A to B. You know, if in smaller cities, as I know in Coleman, the produce just is not as fresh. It has it has more stops. It takes longer to get there. It's just not as fresh, which is, it's fine. You know, it's still edible. It's still green and springy by the time I get it. But you can definitely tell the difference between like a really high quality, you know, this probably came in on a plane this morning kind of, you know, produce. Maybe, maybe it took a little longer. I might be underestimating the... United States transportation system. Um, but you have all of these extra stops, all of this extra fuel, and it, it does lead up to extra costs, especially nowadays when you got gas at $5 a gallon, wherever you're at. Um, and it, it, it can't be good for the environment to do that. Now, people always tout veganism. There's a few different reasons for it. 
and I am not vegan. I have spoken with a few different vegans about veganism because the idea of it really is interesting to me. Um, kind of where's the cutoff, you know, what, what can you eat, can't you eat, that kind of sort of thing. Like, why are you vegan? And a lot of people say they do it because they sympathize for the animal, which, all right, fine, whatever. Um, as a avid, well, I say avid, as a hunter, um, I do sympathize with the animal. I don't want that to be misconstrued. I think, if anything, I have more respect for the animal, okay? Because I am the one taking that life. I don't have the privilege of buying something that is cleaned up and packaged neatly and is as far away removed from a living being as a piece of meat can be. I mean, you honestly, you, you look at a steak or a chicken breast or something, and it's like, this does not even resemble the original animal at all. Rightfully so. I mean, it makes sense. You know, you don't look at a T-bone and be like, yeah, that looks like a cow. Um, but, but hunting, I think, draws you in and gives you kind of a newfound appreciation for the meat that you eat. Um, anyway, that was a little bit of a tangent. Sorry, I'm all, I'm all scatterbrained today. I'm wound up. It's been too long since I've been out in the woods. I've been in the city, fighting off the vegans. <sighs> Where were we? I just don't think that vegan lifestyle is really sustainable unless you live in cities. I mean, there are, I'm sure there are places where it is, you know, a little more moderate climates with a little more rainfall. I'm sure once you start getting to like East Texas, I know College Station, it rains all the time and it doesn't get as cold, but it also, I don't think gets as hot. Um, I'm sure there's stuff that you can grow wherever you're at. Let's be honest here. But my point being is you need, like you, you can't just have this all encompassing diet based on your backyard garden, you know, or, or your little basil plant in the window when you live in a city, you, you may not even have access to any garden. So you might be totally reliant on these systems that have been put into place to make sure that your avocado toast is as fresh as it possibly is. You know, never mind the, the excess in transportation or the additional cost. And I again, I don't mean strictly monetarily. I do mean environmentally. And by all means, I'm not an environmentalist, okay? I think... A lot of people get all wound up about things. And it's like, look, okay, you can't go hating on oil and gas and be wearing a polyester shirt and, you know, driving a Ford Bronco. Not talking about anyone specifically there. I just know someone that got a Ford Bronco, so it's on my mind. But it's like, boss, you're part of the problem, okay? Don't go when, when you're wearing, you know, all hemp and pedaling your bike which, you know, rubber, okay? I want some natural latex tires. I wanna make sure that that, you know, steel or aluminum or whatever was refined, not using any petroleum products. And then, and then you can talk to me about it, okay? But anyway. Um, oh, that was really, that was a bad tangent. <sighs> okay, back to the cost, sorry, sorry. Back to the, back to the cost of veganism 
I don't think people think about. But it's all because of a city. It all has a place to go. And people congregate there, rightfully so, rightfully so. You know, if it's like going to Amazon or, or Walmart, okay? Why do you go to those places? Or why do you shop at those places? It's because you can get, chances are, most, if not everything that you need. I mean, hell, Walmart even has like an auto parts section. You can buy, you can buy guns and baby powder and fruit roll-ups and beer and, you know, get a new spark plug. Maybe you can get some new gardening equipment. You can get some medicine. Like, you you can get everything there. And and Amazon, granted you have to pay for shipping, it, it has even more stuff that you can get. I mean, you got some weird stuff on Amazon that you can get. But that's why people, that's why cities exist is it is a hub for all of these things to come together. But that is why I'm saying that veganism is, it's the reason it's quote unquote flourishing, if you can even say that it's flourishing, is because of the rise in urban development of cities. And I think recently, recently, we have started to see a push away from that. Um, I think for my generation being you know maybe millennials i never really know i think i'm right on the edge but um the the millennial generation i think it goes kind of back and forth where it's like one generation grew up rural and so they want to move urban and then the the generation before them grew up urban and so they wanted to move rural uh now for the states it's a little interesting because you go back a few generations and you have the people who settled the place and there obviously was not a big uh a push to cities because there there were no cities now i guess in to some extent yes there there were pushes to settlements more so that's what we'll call them because otherwise otherwise you're just i don't know out in the middle of wyoming with nothing but hundreds of miles around you and you're just like well this is my life now. And you got like your two cows and you're just trying not to freeze. <sighs> Getting wound up about the cities. It's been too long. I need to need to go out in the woods. Don't get don't get stir crazy, boys and girls. Um you have these hubs that can afford the opportunity for things that, in my mind, are not natural. Now, you might be saying, JD, what do you mean by that? Okay, we have canine teeth. Okay? It means that means that we are supposed to be eating meat. My mom's home. Let's see if she wants to come on the podcast. Okay, I talked with my mother for a moment and uh, she is gonna eat a sandwich, but in the meantime, I have a baby now. So we have a baby on the podcast. Her name is Lucy. She is my first niece. Uh, she's absolutely adorable, and she loves staring at the ceiling fans, which is perfect because it's just windy enough to keep this ceiling fan above me blowing around. She is adorable. What's less adorable is cities. And what's interesting is in the process of talking to my mom, which, again, you would not have 
known how long I was in there because I paused it. It's magic. It's incredible. Oh, you see the fan? She's really happy. She really likes ceiling fans. Uh, my mom mentioned that she heard an interview today with the guy. You're just talkative, aren't you? Uh, who was talking about how this is all that she told me. So consider myself uninformed. But he brought up a point, and this is we're gonna we're gonna follow it. How ugly cities are in the United States compared to Europe. Now. That's a very interesting thought. And, well, hmm. It, it leads a lot of questions. I think mostly why. For one, I think age has a factor. Uh, cities have been around a lot longer. But I think, too, the layout is, at least for American cities, based on efficiency, based on population density. Hmm. You know, there's not many high-rises, so to speak, in European cities and compared to, you know, like, okay, granted, granted, let's, let's hold back. We're talking generally here. I understand Europe knows what a skyscraper is, but for the most part, man, she really likes a ceiling fan. For the most part, well, there are a lot of like older, smaller buildings, which is likely why people say they look better it's because it's this this classical this you know old school kind of you know historic vibe whatever whatever you mean but i think american cities are based because they're so much newer they are based on efficiency on population density on how can we fit the most people the most business get the most out of this square inch i mean look at new york it's ridiculous it is jam-packed, okay? And it's on an island for crying out loud. <sighs> I'm not saying that cities are not a necessity. And, you know, you probably agree with me on that. I do think that they, they need to be there. Because, again, they, they are hubs. They're transportation hubs. They're, they're hubs for culture, for, for food, for development as far as, you know, scientific and you know, creative even, creative uh, endeavors, things like that. They they offer a lot. <sighs> but man, they wear my ass out. Sorry, baby. She, she, I don't think she can hear me. She's fine. My dad cusses more in front of her than I do. Well, I think we all cuss more in front of her than she realizes. She just likes staring at the fan. I have before me... Um, well... Yeah, I have before me a National Geographic from, oh, when's the date? I'm supposed to have it. September of 1963. This is the oldest one that we have. We have a collection from basically, what? What are you doing? I think she's fine. Okay, that's okay if she talks in the background. Yeah, that's great. Podcast noises. <laughs> Oh, I, I, I've talked about it. Oh, okay. We're good. You can turn that off when you need to tell me, so I don't have to watch you for your hand to go up. Uh, yeah, yeah, I can pause it. Okay. Sorry about that. <laughs> I have a 
National Geographic, September 1963. It's all about Australia. Oh, maybe she is starting to fuss a bit. Yeah, I'm gonna I'm gonna be right back. Say goodbye to Lucy, everyone. I have played with the baby and she is happier now. I think she thinks I look like Jesus. Which well, not that we really know what he looks like, but we can take a guess. Oh yeah, she's fussing. We'll be back to talk about Jesus and dairy farms and veganism and Australia. Okay, the baby has been passed along to my mother. Uh, I'd like to apologize if you have made it this far in the episode for all of the pausing and tangents and, well, not exactly steady train of thought. <laughs> if you've listened to the previous episode, so, uh, you know you know that that's kind of how we roll. Anyway, um, this episode, September 1963, not episode, this edition of National Geographic uh, is all about Australia. Or, well, mostly about Australia. And it's, well, for one, these old, I just love old magazines in general. I'm going to be honest. Love old magazines. I think they're so neat to see all the different advertisements and just kind of what they talk about. But in this section, uh, they were talking about the west and the south of Australia. Now, if you know Australia, which, conveniently, they have included a map. Not that that helps you, but it does help me. Uh, if you know Australia, you know that the west and south of Australia, this is probably really busy. Um, there's really not a lot there. Uh, it's just a lot of desert. And, well, <laughs> that sums it up. Anyway, that was our talk on Australia. No, I'm kidding. Uh, but in this, in this section, they're talking about the west and the south. And this is titled, New Australia Thinks Big. We accept the challenge. We know we must increase, must pump in people, money, must fill our empty heart. I think that's a very interesting line. We work towards the immense horizons opening before us. We are bringing people in, all sorts of people, 100,000 a year. We do all we can to attract new capital, and it's coming. We go after new markets in Japan, Southeast Asia, the Pacific, as far away as the East, the West, and South America. We push on with great schemes like the Ord River and the Snowy Mountains. And then he kind of goes on to talk more personally to the, the author of said edition. Um, but that was, kind of, that was kind of the part that stuck out to me. This is, again, from the 60s. And if you know much about Australia now, you know that there really still is not much out there. Uh, later on in the article, um, let me find it. He's talking about uh, two heads of states of Australia meeting. And he goes in to describe it. His view was broadly the same as Premier Bolts. Boltsies? Bolts? Though the two men had vastly different states. Victoria, Victoria, Australia, uh, with three million people in a fertile, temperate area about the size of North and South Carolina combined. 
Western Australia, with only three quarters of a million people in a third of the entire continent. Incredible. An area stretching from well within the tropics, oh, our dog's outside now, uh, to almost 36 degrees south latitude. A lot of it desert, most of it still tough terrain for tough pioneers. Now, I think it's interesting that they refer to them as tough pioneers in this specific bit, because, well, between that line and the previous excerpt that I read, I think it, it gives way to the fact that they are still intent on settling this, or trying to anyway. Uh, I, I can't say that that has paid off very well. I don't have the population of Victoria uh, or Western Australia, but I can pull it up, actually. Population... Okay. Western Australia, it has grown. It has grown. Uh, in 1963, uh, three quarters of a million people. This is, again, one third of the continent. Currently, 2.6 million. Much better. That's They're getting there. They're getting there. Proud of Australia for selling it. But think about... Where are those people in Western Australia? They're in the cities. Because most of Australia is an uninhabitable hellscape. Okay? It's, it's impossible to survive there, really, to, to the extent of modern life. You, you might say, okay, the Aborigines, they're, they're there, which we'll get to that in a second. I have some bonus information for you all. But this, this population is only sustainable in the cities, you know, along the coast or rivers. And it's because they can ship and fly things in that otherwise it could not grow. Which, think about how much of a pain that is. You know, I, I get tired when my Amazon order isn't here in two days and think, you know, I don't even think they have that option in Australia because it's got to go, you know, all the way down, the, down under. Anyway, here as a bonus, and then we'll get back to the dairy farms. Um, well, maybe we won't. Here, some Australian terms. This is according to the 1963 uh, National Geographic. Abo is an aborigine. Bako Bork is a great distance inland. Now, I'm not going to try to say these with an accent. Maybe we'll have an Australian one day. And we can cover these again. Uh, a boundary rider is a cowhand. Bulldust is dry silt. A laughing jackass is a kookaburra, a large kingfisher. Uh, mob is just a herd or a flock. Never Never is a wild, remote area. Interesting. Road train is livestock trailer trucks. Interesting. Huh. Swag man. Man carrying his, quote, swag blanket rolled around his personal belongings. So I think of what we think of, like, with the hobo, and he's got his little stick with the bandana tied up and all the stuff. That's a swag man. Um, interesting. I hope that you've enjoyed those Australian slang terms. So what have we learned so far in this episode? We learned that I don't like cities, but, well, 
you might you might have a differing opinion. I think that they are a necessary evil, unfortunately. Sorry if you live in a city, and sorry if you love it, but oh, I don't know how you do it. You've learned that I am unable to keep a focused train of thought when I get wound up, which, let's be honest, we already knew. Um, we learned what a homeless man in Australia is referred to as. I think that's pretty valuable. <sighs> Lastly, let's cover the birds as another plane flies overhead. I did not realize that this was such a staple to so many different childhoods. But picture this. It's the summer of your sixth grade year, or just after sixth grade year. The hummingbird moth is back. It's beautiful. But it's the summer after your sixth grade year, and you wake up, sun is shining. It's, it's hot, but not hot enough to where it's like uncomfortable. But you run outside and you, you go down the street and meet your friends. And what is the sound that you hear? It's the coo of a morning dove. How magical is that? Now I did not realize that this was such a universal experience because when I, because we have them all over the place here. In fact, I'm staring at one right now. When I hear that noise, I get the chills and it reminds me of my childhood, of playing in the garden and looking for lizards and that little coo Speaking of coo, I hear the baby crying. That little coo in the background. With the... There it is. Let's see if we can pick it up. We might just have to get lucky. <clears throat> Very sorry about that. Um, I think you know the sound that I'm talking about. But it is a very nostalgic noise. And I hope that you also share that nostalgia because it's a very fond memory for me. And I hope that me bringing it up and maybe us here together out in the woods with the, with the doves in the background cooing and hooing and the planes whooshing. I hope that that has brought some nostalgia back into your day. And maybe put a little bit of a smile on your face after listening to me complain <laughs> oh man ladies and gentlemen i appreciate you sticking it out with me if you've made it this far in the episode hope you enjoyed i'm sure there's lots more that i could have covered i know we didn't talk about the dairy farms um but we'll get there we'll get there oh it's a smaller plane now wow that was kind of cool looking uh i know we didn't get to the dairy farms we will at some point not in this episode. Um, really, I was just going to tie them all back into, into veganism and how, but I guess vegans don't eat milk or drink milk or cheese. They don't eat cheese. <sighs> I'm losing it. I'm losing it. I'm sorry. If you've listened this far, oh, you're a different kind of person. Thank you very much. I really appreciate it. Um, if you have some thoughts, shoot me a text. Let's talk about it. And as always, uh, Cheers and God bless.